with you, Johnny Zella, for It's Wednesday, January 7th, and this is Game On. Coming up on the show, we decompress after the last 16 drama and look ahead to the quarterfinals of the World Cup with Conan Byrne and Graham Garland. Nadine Doherty will preview the All-Ireland Ladies Club football final, plus Phelan Kelly on the European Cross-Country Championships. If you want to get in touch, please text us on 51552 or tweet at Game On 2FM. Game on on 2FM. Now, welcome along. We have our competition to start with. The Overlap, the Sky Sports YouTube channel featuring Roy Keane, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher have announced their very first Irish live show in the Three Arena on the 23rd of March next year. The trio will lift the lid on their celebrated playing careers as well as delve deep into today's hottest sporting issues and field questions from the audience as well. You can expect insightful opinion and more than the odd heated exchange. Tickets go on sale this Friday at 10am and we want to give you the chance to win a pair of tickets to their show every day this week. All you have to do is answer the following question. Which Overlaugh pundit spent his entire playing career at Liverpool FC? Simply text your answer to 51552 and make sure you include your full name, county and email address in your text. As always, competition terms and conditions apply. C2FM.ie Now, I am delighted to say that Conan Byrne and Indian Darty are with me in studio. We have lots to get to today. But we are going to start with the RTE Sports um, Awards and the Manager of the Year nominees. So I'm going to announce the Manager of the, of the Year nominees right now. And uh, we'll chat to Conan and to Nadine then about their thoughts on who could win. So first nominee is Zor Antia. So he is the Georgian... Um, Georgian, well, he's Ireland boxing coach from Georgia, and they've had a year of unprecedented success, having won two world gold medals, four European golds, three European silvers, and two European bronze. They were also seven medals taking home from the European under 22s by Zor's young talents. Stephen Bradley, who is the Shamrock Rovers manager, his, has overseen a period of great success for the Hoops and secured three in a row league titles with two games to spare. The 37 year old also returned European football to Tala as they qualified for the group stages of the Europa Conference League. Brian Dowling, the Kenny Camogie boss. Uh, Dowling has brought success to Kilkenny since his appointment after the 29th season, 20 2019 season. He guided the Cats to All-Ireland success in 2020 and once again this year after a very dramatic final against their rivals Cork. Dominic Casey, Casey's lightweight charges, produced the goods again. Paulo Donovan and Fintan McCarthy claimed lightweight double skulls world and European goals while his lightweight women's duo brought home a bronze medal in the European World Championships in the Czech Republic. Andy Farrell, the Irish rugby boss, had a very respectable second place finish in the Six Nations. And this was the catalyst for Farrell's men to climb to be the number one rugby team in the world. A year that brought a first ever series win in New Zealand, plus autumn international victories of world champion South Africa, as well as Australia. John Cody, the Limerick hurling boss, his team secured their fourth successive Munster hurling crown and then went on to deliver their first ever three in a row of senior All-Ireland hurling titles. Willie Mullins, he delivered a record 10 winners at the Cheltenham Festival, including five on the final day and was named champion trainer for an incredible 16th time. Eamon Murray, the now departed Leeds Mead ladies football manager oversaw the world's greatest ever period of success claiming the Division 1 league title in the spring and then retaining their All-Ireland title against Kerry Ronan Nagara who is the La Rochelle boss he saw his team win a first ever European Cup in a dramatic final against Leinster and now joins Leo Cullen um, and uh, Ugo Mola as the only men to win the trophy as player and a coach. Jack O'Connor, the Kerry manager. So in his third spell, he delivered a first All-Ireland title for the Kingdom in eight years and early in the year took home the Division 1 league title. 
And then, of course, Avira Power is there, the Republic of Ireland's Dutch manager masterminded a first ever major tournament qualification, reaching the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand next summer after a 1-0 playoff win. Um, over Scotland in Glasgow. So my first thoughts, guys, is God, we have a huge amount of really talented managers. <laughs> Pretty oh, mad, Nadine. Unbelievable. Are you able to breathe there? Fair play, getting all of that out. <laughs> uh, unbelievable, Marie. I mean, when you go through the list and, you know, when you initially mention names, you think, oh yeah. And then when you go through what they've achieved, it's it's incredible. So standouts for me would be um, Andy Farrell. I mean, an autumn series like no other really um, for the rugby team and you know he he had a difficult transition year that first year Mm -hmm. so what he's achieved this year is fantastic and I know we say it all the time but he's just seems to be peaking at the right time with those guys so that's a huge one I think Ronan O'Gara again sticking with rugby what he did with La Rochelle this year was was incredible um, the final against Leinster uh, the way he had that team prepped the way they managed mm-hmm. the game I mean genius and I, I can't wait until he becomes an Ireland manager um, and Vera Pai obviously I think I think she has to be the favourite because what she's achieved with limited resources. Mm-hmm. I know there've been improvements over the last years, but I mean limited resources. What a group of girls and just the way they achieved it. I just think that's incredible and the resilience she showed and the team. Um, for me, she's up there. Definitely yeah, historic. <laughs> done something that's never been done before. Conan. Yeah, I've wrote down the same. <laughs> um, I'd probably have to mention Stephen Bradley as well, the, mm. the three in a row, given the circumstances surrounding his son's ill health throughout the year as well, and to overcome that and to maintain that, that form that the, that the team had showed during that, that season at Shamrock Rovers and performing really, really well in, in Europe as well. So uh, uh, for him to, to be on the uh, the list, it was a shoe-in really. Um, I put then Willie Mullins as well, mm-hmm. thought, considering his 10 Shelton winners, um, he's going to probably try and do that again. Um, or surpass that uh, in March uh, John Kiley um, yeah. I think he's been absolutely extraordinary for the Limerick Hurlers consistency geez, it's amazing just, and that's what, it need, that's what you mm-hmm. need to be to be a top manager you need consistency we've seen this through, throughout um, sports history and um, but like Nadine um, I, don't, I think one name stands out more than more than any other and it's Vera Pell yeah absolutely it's it's hard really to to even pick like a few out of that because they're all there and they're all so deserved to be there as well every single last one of them and have excelled so much in their their different sports you know even the ones that like we wouldn't talk about too often uh, like Zorantia it's the boxers that tend to get the, the glory when uh, when they're in the ring but when you look at what he has overseen with Irish boxing it, it's phenomenal and we're talking about consistent exactly and he just goes about his business and keeps delivering medals and success and obviously runs an unbelievably efficient and successful programme there um, for Irish boxing. He, um, he's been brilliant. Um, Dominic Casey again with the rowers, uh, Paul and Finton. And it, it's like when things are happening all the time, it, it doesn't have the same impact like when it's a one-off, like Vera Power, a historic moment when it's the first time. But like people like Dominic Casey and Zora Antia and Stephen Bradley, um, John Kiley, they're just doing it over and over again all the time and they're putting in that um, massive commitment and um, delivering results then year after year and then the expectation rises. Yeah and I think especially with the boxing and the rowing I mean they have to decide 
who goes in that ring. You yeah. know, it's a process up to that point. Um, they have to decide who goes into that boat. And, you know, there's a lot of management and people throughout that journey. So, you know, in particular, when you mentioned the boxing and their own. And I think as well, Marie, just I suppose on the J front as well, you know, Brian Dowling, that was a huge achievement with Kilkenny because that team has gone through a good bit of transition in mm-hmm. the last while. And, you know, there's always that head to head with Cork. Yeah. So that was massive. And look, Eamon Murray, back-to-back championships with me a massive massive achievement mm-hmm. uh, you know it was a big surprise last year obviously for everybody but to do that yeah. again consistency and to do that second time round when everybody has your taxi- yeah. tactics <laughs> sussed out and you know they were carrying a few injuries and different things so you know fair play to him as well amazing yeah. and will uh, Robin O'Gara win it if he becomes the new England head coach <laughs> now on that just yesterday it was um, announced that he has been tied down by La Rochelle till 2027 so we're okay for a while but um, where he goes next now will definitely be really interesting and on Brian Dowling as well you mentioned him there Nadine and it's kind of in the in the same vein as the Stephen Bradley um, story a lot of uh, tragedy within that Kilkenny camp um, as well um, so they were able to kind of rally around each other there was a, a few losses of people involved including Brian with his um, uncle and um, they just faced a lot of adversity and they, they really got it together and were able to galvanise and pull off a brilliant performance in the All-Ireland Final. Um, Okay, we're going to... uh, They're on, uh, by the way, on Saturday, the 17th of December on the telly. Uh, It's one of those kind of sporting nights that everybody looks forward to. They're they're brilliant and the manager is just going to be so interesting this year. And we're going to turn our attention now to the World Cup. Uh, Graeme Gartland joins us now on the line. Uh, Graeme, the... The round of 16 is over. We know now the all the quarter finalists, but the big talking point today still feels like it is Ronaldo and um, his antics last night or more of his lack of antics. Are we going to see him again, do you think, in this tournament? Yeah, I think it's like some part. It depends how Portugal are doing in the next round against Morocco. If, if they're obviously winning comfortably like they were last night, you might see him come on and play some sort of role in the game. Um like in fairness I thought Portugal were excellent last night um, they were dynamic they were on the front foot they pressed really well I think that was the biggest thing they didn't allow Switzerland to get any momentum in the game or any types of pattern to play and um, they totally deserved to go through but yeah, I've I seen an image today that was really sort of like all the press lined up to take a photograph of him even though he wasn't playing and all the, the rest of the team are out on the pitch doing their, the national anthem and then the, everyone's focused on him and it just it, the world media is focused on that when actually Portugal with their new with Ramos scoring a hat-trick that's what the story should be about mm. It was uh, it, it's so difficult when you're that player who doesn't get the nod and then the person that's on instead of you it plays out of their skin Conan isn't it? And that's Ronaldo like you're replacing the poster boy of world football yeah. um, no pressure and the pressure that would have been on that <laughs> 21, like Ramos' shoulders at such a young age but I think enormous credit must go to Fernando Santos uh, the manager of Portugal he mm. faced staunch criticism from fans after performances at the last World Cup and only qualifying via the playoffs for this one and he needed to come up with a way of turning an incredible generation of individual talents into a functioning cohesive unit and he probably needed to do that without Ronaldo Yeah, because it was given the performance last night and the way that they played it was as if the shackles were off the other players that were in the team, the likes of Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, who I thought was absolutely exceptional, Joe Felix. They're all unplayable at times. Um, but with Portugal, it's like they shrink or 
are overshadowed by their compatriot in Ronaldo and the shack as I said, the shackles were off last night and they were absolutely superb. So they've been out at the last sixteen, the last two World Cups. Now they have a huge opportunity now to make the last mm. four. Yeah, and, and they just seem to have, have really got it together. Um, it was interesting here in Santos uh, talking about Ronaldo last night, Graham. Um, he said that the his role in the squad has yet to be defined. I have a very close relationship with him. I've known him since he was 19 at Sporting. Ronaldo and I never misinterpret um, the human and personal aspect with that of a manager and player. I'd always consider that he's a very important player to have in the team. To me, that kind of reads like um, we might not see too much of him anyway. Yeah, but he has to obviously keep him involved and on side. I, I think where you look back on Ronaldo's career to Portugal, he's the record goal scorer in any way. I think he's up there with the record appearance holder as well. Um, he, he's had a fantastic career and he, he's always willing. You see a lot of international players that with his elk that aren't probably willing to go out and play for a country all the time, but Ronaldo is. And the manager is obviously trying to keep him on side and keep the harmony in the squad. Um as much as he can because obviously they're they're together 24-7 at the moment with, with them being based for the World Cup and it's important that Ronaldo stays with with it you, I, I think the, the best version of Ronaldo was when obviously he came off injured in the in the European Cup final and he's still cheering on his team but obviously he felt he couldn't play because he was injured but he was still involved and still getting them over the line and you're not going to see that version of him when he's, when he's fit to play but you could tell he, he he wanted the team to win. He wanted the country to win, and and he might need to adapt a little, to that a little bit. That he isn't the main man for this group anymore, and he isn't the main man in more football anymore. And that's tough. It's tough as when when that happens to a player. But I think the manager's just trying to keep him on side to make sure that that he keeps the team spirit in the in the squad. And I agree. I thought I thought that the lads. The, the creative players around Portugal really excelled last night. They, they played forward, they ran forward, they were, they were you know, dynamic in how they moved the ball. Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, Covid, Joe Felix were all looked like they had a freedom to play with the ball that just made them really exciting to watch. Just going back to the point on, on Cristiano Ronaldo, I think he'll have a big part to play, Marie, because they're coming up against Morocco now. Morocco have only conceded one goal in qualifying. Mm. They've only conceded one goal in this tournament, so it's going to be very tight. So can you imagine, nil all, 15 <laughs> minutes to go, what better player to bring on the pitch than I Cristiano thought he was Ronaldo. going to score that free kick last night, actually, but he was shaping up around it. <laughs> his, uh, his record of free kicks is really poor, actually, considering he, uh, when he does put them he in. He takes them off. Yeah, pretty fantastic. <laughs> but also... But even that... Con, like you, like Spain got 32 crosses in against Morocco. They, they got two chances on goal, but they got 30, 32 crosses in. You'd imagine if they're going to give up crosses like that against Portugal, that at some stage you're going to see Ronaldo. The fact that he is so strong and powerful in the air, you'd imagine he got on to the end of one of them crosses. At some stage, um, he's going he's gonna to eel out a chance, especially when, like you said, crosses are coming in the box. Um, it's a little bit chaotic when, when you're dealing with crosses, more so than dealing with true balls and things down the side. So you'd imagine in that sense that he might he might make a goal against Morocco if he's called upon. On that, I'm reluctant to mention Arsene Wenger after his comments over the weekend when he um, was almost dismissive of people who were making uh, um, any political statements and uh, suggested that the teams that were focusing on um, the competition rather than the political elements were did better in the World Cup. But he did have another technical briefing yesterday and he said something quite interesting, Graham, that um, the goals that the most of the goals that have been scored in the group stages 
came from um, players on the wing. So the way that teams are setting up now is uh, it's an it's an enabling and allowing players to 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 use that space in the wing, and that's where the goals are coming from. So he said in his technical briefing yesterday that he thinks the team that has the best wingers are going to win the World Cup. Yeah, but now, uh, and I've I done a report for the A license on the whole um, our teams playing without now wingers, or is it the fullbacks that are occupying wide areas to allow the wingers to become inside forwards? Liverpool will be an example with that, with Salah and what Mane used to do and allow that. So, and a lot of the goals are coming from cutbacks. It was a, the percentage of headers scored in the Euros was really low. I think it was at twenty five percent. Where I think, oh, sorry, I think cutbacks was at thirty five percent. So that there was a massive increase in cutbacks and, and a decrease in headed goals. So, like you said, the wide play is, is all about the link up between that little triangle of your of your attacking midfielder, your your right sided winger, your left sided winger, and then the full back helping. And once the wide area is occupied, it doesn't matter who occupies it. Once one of the players do it, and that fluidity in the in them little three triangles is what can cause chances down the side because. The fullback playing against it doesn't know who to go with. If the if the winger runs on the inside, he has to tuck in, and that'll free up a wide area for the fullback to go. And then once they get into them areas, it's all about the deliveries. And you've seen that last night with some of the passes across the box were fantastic, and the front man movement from, especially for his second goal, Ramos one. He just not just the defender in the stomach gets across the front post, and it's a wonderful finish. So once they get into them areas, it's about delivering. What about Spain, Conan? Um, I know Morocco impressed quite a lot of people and they do have uh, some quality players, maybe ones that might not be as familiar to us because they're not playing in the Premier League, but they were deserved winners against Spain yesterday. I don't know if you remember, Marie, a couple of weeks ago when I was in here. It was you. You were the one. I I actually (laughs) said to Alan Colley, was it you that was saying Morocco were really good? But it was you, Coded. Yes, it was, Marie. Ah, I can't believe you couldn't remember it was me. <laughs> can't yes. believe I was crediting Alan Cawley with actually uh, <laughs> predicting well. something. Because <laughs> um, you went through the players that Morocco had. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And But what I was just actually talking off air with Nadine and um, outside there, and we were talking about just the fact that the infrastructure around Morocco is something that maybe people from Ireland and England might know about. Mm-hmm. Their infrastructure would put St. George's Park to shame in England. In really? terms of their academies of what the, of what they're doing over there, they have a fantastic state of the art stadiums in Morocco, and like I said before, they invited all the opposing teams to play their home games in Morocco because of the fact that their stadiums are so well equipped. Um, they're all to FIFA standard, um, so the likes of Sudan, Guinea, Guinea-Bissau, they gave up home advantage to play in Morocco because of the the, the surfaces that they were going to play on, and the Moroccan Football Federation has stated that the development of football within the country is founded on a triangular approach. So that pr- that approach then um, should be the form the basis of uh, the development of any system. So facilities is number one, mm-hmm. followed by talent, <laughs> and then qualified personnel. But the most important one of those of, of those three is the qualified personnel because if you don't have qualified coaches, and we've seen that with the Morocco mm-hmm. the way they've played in this World Cup, of how they cannot concede. They're so compact, they're so tight. They work as a a, a unit. The team cohesion is is remarkable. Um, and that was the reason they sacked their manager a couple of months back, um, uh, Halid Zodzic. He was a he qualified for the World Cup for Morocco, but because he doesn't kind of go with the the philosophies of the Moroccan Football Federation, he was let go. Um, a couple of players had fallen out. With, um, Hakim Ziyech announced his retirement. Yeah. Uh, Nusser Mesrawi, the Bayern Munich left back, he 
refuse to play for this for this manager. So three months ago he was sacked. They brought in Reg Rag uh, who won the champion African Champions League in May, and then um, brought all these players back. And as I said, this team cohesion is is uh, is absolutely flying. So there's no surprise in my eyes that how far they've come. And Portugal are going to have it really very difficult to come up uh, at the weekend to to get into that last four position. Graham, that's amazing. Yeah. The listening to the the triangle there and seen facilities at the top of it before talented coaches. I know where you're going with this. Marie. Well now. I'm just asking when, when does Con start his ambassador role for Morocco which is fun to know about. Oh, it, it sounds look just given anyone that uh, will be that has listened to me over the last few months will have heard me giving out about the, the facilities and just the fact yes. that for so and I know many, you're coming to me because I give out, give out as well. But for so many months of the year, the kids have no access to pitches, and it's not just kids; it's adults as well. It's just uh, people in this country. The facilities just aren't good enough. We're a country no. that, for a lot of it, it's raining, and we've, we're reliant on grass pitches. So to hear that, Graham, I can only just look on, and, and I'm going to go googling it now. Is it's just pure envy? Yeah, and a lack, of, and then what kicks in is people talk about the cost of living this year, and then the lack of light, and then. You're, you're using floodlights for six six months of the year as well when, you know, you could be playing all the way through the summer and getting games in then. Um, it, it frustrates me because we, you're right, we haven't got the facilities. Even the pitches, like there's a rule in Scotland, you have, they play during the summer or they play during the winter. The rule in Scotland is you have to have on the side of to play in the Premier Division. Um, we, we couldn't have that here because we went to summer football because it suited their stadiums, it suited their pitches suited the way teams wanted to train because we, we just have a lack of facilities the thing about the qualified people is Ireland has seen a massive jump in its coaching it's really renowned, the, the FAI courses are, are, are really good You know, there's a lot more qualified coaches so there are qualified people in these positions what are the two things we're lacking You know, facilities is the biggest one we, we just can't get time on the pitch and, and valuable time and, and then even free time like people think well you know, you need to replicate the street football that he played years ago. But twenty years ago, you weren't like you were letting your kid go out in the street and play till all hours. You're not doing that now. Uh, uh, like that, you can't replicate what happened twenty years ago. So we need to have better pitches and facilities to allow free play during the evening. So yeah, we're going to have a training session, but you're up a half an hour before having a kickabout, or you're you're staying on for another half an hour having another kickabout. That we we can't facilitate that. So we're, we're lacking that free play element. And then you're saying, well, they should get that in training. Yeah, they should. But this is free play where there's no adults there refereeing it. That's when you see all the eaters and all that stuff come out. So the lack of facilities in this country has bothered me for a long, long time. I touched on it a while ago that people talk about, oh, well, you know, you are lucky with your academy up in Shamrock Rovers and all that. That's not luck. That was hard work went into that. But if you look at Air Academy compared to ones in the UK, we're still miles behind it. Like I played in, I played in Liverpool's academy when I back in two thousand, and then they've built another one since. Like they've, they've built two academies in the in the space that we haven't built one fully functional academy in Ireland. So and that's where I'm like, you need to invest in this, otherwise you're going to lose another generation of players that we're talking about World Cups that we're not in again. Mm-hmm. But we've nowhere for them to train, and we've nowhere for the coaches to go to work with them. Yeah. So and yeah, it just frustrates me. Like. 
you know, for the kids to go out on a Saturday, like a group of them, there's nowhere for them to go. Yeah. Like there's there's no areas for them to go and play. And my own lad and his friends. You have to build an astro out in your garden. Yeah, but they, like they went out on Saturday and they had to wait an hour. They pay to go to an astro themselves. They give them two quid each, and they had to, they had to wait for an hour and a half to get access to an astro. Like a group of ten ten year olds just standing there waiting. All they want to do is play football, and there's nowhere for them to go. Yeah, exactly. And that like the, the Scandinavian clubs do a. a do a lot better they build big uh, multifunctional facilities where there's a lot of like the different sports you can play hockey fields or uh, indoor swimming pools all them things for big areas and we, we don't and we don't actually see the benefit of it because mm-hmm. again for for kids that might be into might be overly into football there might be something that they find but it's, it saves you money on a healthcare bill when you get older when obviously we have, we have a national healthcare like it saves you money on that saves mm-hmm. you money on mental health for teenagers because they're exercising during that time as well all that stuff that well. we can actually make a better nation for uh, for our children we just don't invest in it just come back that's my rant over <laughs> just in terms of the free play like you, you, you see it with, with my children now they're they're down at on the Astro from 6 to 7 but there's nowhere to as, as Graham was saying there there's nowhere to go to go early can't go in at mm-hmm. 10 to 5 to Seven or five, ten to five to six, and do a little bit of free play beforehand because you only have that hour on the Astro, and you're waiting for the other team to come off. You're going on, but the time you have to sit up your cones at that time. You can't go on before it, so it's an absolute nightmare for players and coaches yeah. to be able to develop their skills, yeah. especially during these. Winter and to months. encourage good habits, like you can't encourage them because there's nowhere for them to go. Like it's it's really no, it's always about the, yeah. who's last off the training pitch and, yeah. and all that. That's sure everyone's <laughs> yeah, off at the yeah. same time. You can't even do the extra work. I think as well. Unfortunately, we have become very litigious in Ireland, and there's a lot of astros and clubs who can't allow the free play because they're afraid of possibly being sued. Um, I know in school, and it was kind of led by the kids. Um, there's about started off at maybe five of them um, at about quarter to nine they come in get the football and they just play like at the bottom of the yard the teachers don't sit well we're watching but not supervising mm-hmm. or refereeing and now there's probably about 20 kids and it's the girls the boys oh, every class all ages and it's only that 10-15 minutes yeah. and they're in charge of getting the football and putting it back and you know that's all we can facilitate at the minute but you'd love you know, where you have schools and they might have Astros if they were able to just leave the gates mm-hmm. open, let the kids in, but we can't because... Yeah, because the society... Yeah. Living in there. And just to finish on facilities, I think credit has to go to the GA and as a GA person, the GA puts so much into their facilities over the last 20 years and they've just bypassed so many Everybody. of the soccer clubs. Yeah, yeah. And I think the soccer clubs really missed a trick in that. So they're playing catch-up and possibly playing catch-up to, you know, the number of kids joining the clubs. You know, the GA clubs would have far, far more kids involved. And I think a big thing is facilities. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with the, with you guys. Uh, let's just go back to the World Cup before we finish up. So we do know our four quarter finalists now. On Friday, Croatia and Brazil. Um, Saturday, Netherlands, uh, Argentina. No, Friday at three, Croatia, Brazil. And then at seven, Netherlands, Argentina. And then Saturday, Morocco, Portugal and England versus France. So of the eight teams, Graham, who do you fancy? Uh, I still fancy Brazil. I, I picked Brazil at the start. Um, I thought the South American team would win it, and I was I was torn between Argentina and Brazil, but I went for Brazil. I just think that there's a togetherness in the squad. They're well balanced. Uh, they have creative players that can, if they're not 
the game isn't going well, they can still produce moments of magic. Um, we've seen that with some of the goals they scored. So, um, and they've, they, I think they've the best goalkeepers in the tournament. And I say both. I, I, I don't fancy England's goalkeeper. I don't fancy France's goalkeeper. Argentina goalkeeper, again, not sure of. Um, I go with the Bono. <laughs> Bono, yeah. <laughs> Morocco hasn't. He's only conceded. Yeah, again, you must. I tell you, you must have some players in Morocco. Um, but yeah, I, I just fancy Brazil. Yeah, Conan. I said France from the very start, um, and I just think with 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 the top four that they have: Mbappe, mm. Griezmann, Giroud, Dembele. Um, now you could look at the other teams around them, and, and Vinicius, Neymar. Richarlison um, and Rafinha as well at Brazil but I just think the experience that they might have they got from the winning it four years ago um, they look really sharp attacking really well uh, defending so far has been has been good but again they probably haven't been tested um, I think they'll run all over England if I'm being completely honest on Saturday evening um, which I'm really looking forward to um, and I just I just think that they have the 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 capabilities of going on to win it more so than the others. I do think it's. I do think it'll be a France Brazil final, um, and France to edge it. Okay, Nadine, have you been watching much of it? I haven't because of the times. Um, <laughs> you have a day job. Kind of have a day job. Yeah. Surrounded by teachers, uh, but from the start and what I'd read and watched previously, it would I would have fancied Brazil and just going by the results and so on and the few games that I've caught Brazil, but with maybe Portugal after last night. Um, you are too busy out playing Gaelic in your great facilities. <laughs> that, that was it. That was it. Great. Yeah. Totally on my nice Astro. Astro. Rubbing her in. Rubbing her in. Kick the balls over the bar. Uh, Eden Hazard retired as well, Graham. I, I think maybe after his performances, it was a bit inevitable. Um, he probably won't be the, the last player as well after this tournament, I'd say, to hang up his boots from international football anyway. Yeah, I think the Belgian squad just. Just dysfunctional would be the word you'd use to describe them. They just lack of cohesion, lack of togetherness, and ultimately that's why they go out because, uh, the, you know, the sum of the parts and all that, I just didn't think they were together. Um, and as much as they were good individually, Hazard at times for Chelsea was fantastic, and then going to Madrid was probably a dream meal for him, but maybe the lifestyle didn't suit him because he just never really performed over there. He showed bits and pieces, but he never performed on a consistent basis and it's no surprise to see him probably just bow out uh, or a whimper with this with, with this World Cup and he's a player that they're the type of players that frustrate me because they have all the talent in the world but the, uh, you know that work rate and consistency to do it at, at the top level all the time just sometimes is lacking and as much as I Ronaldo can frustrate me I have such admiration for the fact that he wants to play all the time mm-hmm. as much as like that what, what annoys me about Hazard is that he, he doesn't look bothered sometimes about playing or, or putting an effort in where you can see Ronaldo wants to play all the time now some people might say well he just wants to score all the time he doesn't really want to run around too much but he still wants to be out there he's still he's still fit and ready to play he's never put on weight he's never looked unconditioned so that's where the likes of Eden Hazard with all his talent never really kicked on and maximised the potential he had Conan? Yeah, I just I, I nearly compare Croatia to Belgium in, in 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 terms of how Croatia have performed at at competitions 
compared to Belgium. Like obviously Belgium did pretty well in the last World Cup. Don't get me wrong, but just in terms of the the players that within that squad that really are have fire in their bellies going into tournaments, the likes of Perisic, Modric, Brozovic, Kovacic, all those the, the three players I mentioned there, the central midfield uh, trio have over three hundred caps between them. Um, now I think even at the last couple of at the, the last World Cup in twenty eighteen. In the knockout stages, they got through the last 16 and the quarterfinal on penalties and the semi-final through extra time. Um, so they didn't go into these games winning comfortably in the knockout stages. They grafted, got through, some, as I said, 120 minutes twice and then followed by another 120 minutes against England in the, in the semi-final um, and put it up to France in the final. Whereas... I don't think Belgium would be able would, would be the, the Belgium squad now and even the players that are coming through would be capable of putting in that type of performance over the course of a, of a tournament um, they like it easy um, De Bruyne didn't show up this mm-hmm. year we mentioned Hazard the the, the age of the, the, the centre halves as well um, but then when you look at Croatia's Modric at, at 35 36 um, you have Perisic who's 34 so you have those players that are still able to do it at that age as well. So it's just, uh, when you want it, it's just, I think just Croatia always wanted more. Okay, uh, Graham and Conan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll be building up to those quarterfinals over the next couple of days. We're going to take a very quick break, but do stay with us. We've lots more to come, including ladies football and athletics. Game on on 2FM. Yeah, welcome back. We are turning our attention to ladies football this weekend. The current account.ie All-Ireland Senior Club Championship will take place in Croke Park between Dunamoyne and Kilkern Clonburn of Galway. And that is going to be on at five o'clock live on TG Car. And there will also be updates on uh, Saturday Sport as well. Um, Nadine Doherty is with me here in studio. Nadine, first time that it's going to be in Croke Park, which is a big deal. Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, as we always say about all these firsts for ladies mm-hmm. football, it's great. Uh, long overdue, I would feel. And, um, you know, I was thinking the weekend that the Leinster club finals were on, the men were playing in Crow Park and the semi-finals were taking place in home pitches all over the country. So Dunamine had a home tie in their semi and Kilcarran, I think, had... No, Kilcarran were away, actually, in Waterford. So, you know, look, you'd love to see down the line that we'd get the two semi-finals mm-hmm. in there as well. But then you look at the clubs and I know Dunamine love playing on that tight little home pitch that they have up in Monaghan and you'd wonder, would they have beaten Kilmacud Croaks in a big pitch like Crow Park? But it's wonderful that it's in Crow Park and you have the intermediate game beforehand as well, which is great. Um, just hopefully a crowd makes it Marie and it's you know it's not totally empty but that there'll be a couple of thousand there from each parish which would be great I think any games now over the next little while are probably going to be clashing with big World Cup games because even the um, Kilmacud or the uh, Ballyhill Shamrocks Ballygunner game is on the same time as the World Cup final I think it's maybe a half an hour or something of a difference like which is going to affect a lot of people watching and then crowds going as well it's a it's a tricky one but look you can't if you want to play in Crow Park and you want to have your big game kind of probably have to take what you what you get so uh, these two teams both such familiar names in club ladies football so much experience between the two of them Nadine Oh huge so much experience in terms of names I mean look we'll start with Kilcarran. Um it's basically you know 50% of the Galway 
county team, you have the wards, uh, you have Hannah Noon, you have the Divilies, you know, mainly Olivia Divilly. Um, what a player. She was phenomenal last year for Kilcairn especially. Uh, Louise Ward there in the middle, like what a force. Lindsay Noon, um, Ava Noon. And then for me, I feel who's been a really, really top forward this year and probably hasn't um, received enough credit is Ailish Marcy and um, Chloe Miskell as well they're really effective in, in there for, for Kilcarran and look Dunamine 20 championships in a row in Monaghan I mean it's actually unbelievable and when you go through some of the names like I did an interview there with Linda Martin the goalkeeper a few weeks ago for the paper and Linda's been there from day one she's 20 championships she has the Courtney sisters um Katrina McConnell who obviously got all the headlines the weekend of the semi-final she got married the day before but they've added this year you know there's Lauren Garland there's Neve Callan their captain who's you know she's a young player but she's fantastic Emer trainer and like all these girls have won um, up to five six Ulster championships so there's huge experience on both sides I'm pretty sure Kilcarran I think they won their fifth Connacht in a row um, and maybe eight or nine Galway Championship so look these two teams mm-hmm. they've dominated their counties they've dominated their provinces and they've kind of been over and back then in terms of all Ireland wins but huge huge experience Yeah they really do and isn't it amazing I think especially in ladies football that teams can dominate for such a long time they obviously get a really good core of players and they just keep adding to it and evolving and strengthening it and it's tradition and it's culture and it's whatever structures that they have in place and like I'd say it's not rocket science either Nadine no, and when you look at Dunamine especially, there's no big game plan there. There's never been a huge big game plan. And if you speak to any of those girls, when it comes down to those results and when they've been challenged on the big days, they would say it's pure stubbornness, pure grit, pure determination. And with Kilcarran as well, I think, you know, I suppose they've gained that experience the last couple of years. They've been knocking around since 2014 in terms of all Ireland's. Um, now they have that experience of winning and if you're a young girl in a club like Dunamoyne or like Kilcarran and you can see that your team is dominating the county championship and you have a chance to win a county championship and maybe go on to Connacht All Ireland of course you're going to um, you know get your parents to bring you out to the, the academy and so on so mm-hmm. look they just build every year and it's great to see you know you look at Kilcarran and you mentioned the club like Shane Walsh left and went to Croaks yeah. and here you have the women's side of the club fully functioning <laughs> thriving you know, would, would one yeah. of the wards go to I, I'm pretty sure Nicola Ward lives in Dublin is she going to go yeah. to Croke she's not because they're challenging they're winning um, they're challenging for honour so absolutely look success breeds success and, and that's what's happened for both of these teams Does it is it putting other teams off though like like what's the challenge like for the for the ones that are dominating yeah well I my own club team at home St. Junins when I was a young teenager and I started playing with them um, like we went on to win 10 in a row um, and every year yeah every couple of years a different club would I suppose come up with the new challenge and we had great battles with Aru of Ballyshannon and we had McCool's we had four masters um, I think it does it, it can go one of two ways you'll have clubs who might challenge for two years and then they just give up or you have the ones who just keep going and keep going and you look at Bally McCarbury I suppose who won 20 or 40 maybe <laughs> Waterford Championships yeah. but in Munster then in the last 10 years they just couldn't make that breakthrough yeah. so their challenge every year was probably Munster and not Mm-hmm. Waterford so like they keep going so I suppose it depends on a club and I think again coming back to what we were talking about in soccer it depends on structures mm-hmm. um, 
but uh, it's interesting with these teams who dominate in clubs you would have had Bally Bowden back in the day even ourselves with St. Junins and Donegal you now have Dunamine from Monaghan Kilcarran and Galway the county teams haven't really been mm-hmm. functioning and they don't function so you wonder is it because the club players are so invested in the club they might be late going back to the county then in January, February it has a knock-on effect for the county and also when you're the top club and you dominate in terms of players going to the county team it does breed a little bit of resentment perhaps with the other clubs so it's just clicks, interesting a few clicks in the dressing room a few what clicks you're in the dressing room <laughs> yeah absolutely and that it's just interesting with the teams who are left Cork with Morn Abbey I mean Cork have done nothing since yeah. Morn Abbey have started to dominate so you just wonder what the dynamics the are the dynamic is mm-hmm. then in a county changing room and again I do think a massive thing and I think especially with Kilcarran and Galway last year you know the Kilcarran girls they weren't back in that squad until it was maybe March, April, and um, because the championship went yeah. longer last year, so that has an effect as well. Um, and I'm sure as county managers, if you're missing eight or nine of your squad who are still off playing with their club, it's very, very hard to get you know just to get things yeah. together, especially at the start of the year. So, how do you think they'll cope in Crow Park? Uh, I think Kilcarran will probably cope a bit better because they, I feel they have better legs. I think they're faster paced team I think the wide open spaces will probably suit them a little bit better I think that is an advantage they have you know the girls I mentioned there you know the wards mm-hmm. the Divilies going through them I think they'll cause the Dunamine team a lot of problems in that sense um, because as I said earlier Dunamine like that small tight pitch and they they can suck the life out of teams which they did against Crokes in the semi-final you know they denied them so much space they denied them time on the ball and that's really difficult to do in Crow Park as we know in saying that um, you know the Dunamine girls I know that the final being in Crow Park this year was a massive massive motivation for them because they've won their five All-Irelands but they've won them in yeah. pitches you know the back of beyond and for them this Tullamore is the pinnacle yeah, yeah you know this is a real pinnacle for them and I think if you if you look at that team and you're to believe rumours maybe you know their manager apparently could be stepping down this year Francie Coleman and there's a lot of girls there's a big cohort of experienced players and this could be the last hurrah for them so being in Crow Park could mm-hmm. just drive them on even more but I just think Kilcarran with the legs in that big pitch I think it'll just suit them a little bit better suit them enough to win it <laughs> honestly like because Dunamine they are so dogged like they're unbelievably dogged and the resilience and the hunger and like you talk about passion in a club mm-hmm. you go down to that club or you just watch them play just watch them on Sunday they just never give up and I know it's an old cliche but they're one of the few club teams over the last 25 years they just do not give up I don't know honestly I mean, it's so so hard to call and I know if Ronan the producer was here now he'd be like call it <laughs> uh, so I, I just think maybe Kilcairn because they have that experience to go with the legs they could edge it but it really wouldn't surprise me if, if Dunamine won it and just before we finish up uh, just a word on Lindsay Davey who announced her retirement mm. from uh, ladies football the, the Dublin player who was playing since she was about 14 am I right? I th- yeah 14 <laughs> I remember being on an all-star trip um, in Singapore in 04 <laughs> and I think Lindsay was about 16 so wow. that, yeah Uh I'm devastated from, uh, I suppose, being a fan. I just think Lindsay Davy has been probably... She was 14 in 2004. So she'd been playing for... That's when she made her senior debut. Yeah. 
Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I just think she has been. Conan's looking at us now, going, "I think I've like I've a twelve-year-old yeah. playing senior in two years." Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So imagine, imagine lying and out in an all-Ireland final, senior final, and she never looked out of her depth. For me, she was is was the most consistent player over the last twenty years, and she is the best defensive forward that I think we'll see in the next 20 years. Her ability and her timing of the tackle time and time again was just phenomenal. And we would always say about Lindsay Davies, she was always the woman for a big day. Mm. I mean, even years when Dublin won their All-Irelands, you would have players who you would have expected to perform. And they didn't because, listen, you know, on an All-Ireland final day, you'll have 10 players who'll be great. You'll have three players who'll be phenomenal and you'll have two who just won't show up. Lindsay was always phenomenal. She just was always phenomenal. As a Donegal person, I'm glad because (laughs) it gives us a little bit more of a chance. But even her leadership, Mm -hmm. she was a lady on the pitch, a lady off the pitch. She was great with the media, very honest player. And, you know, even the way she always showed up for her club, Scary's Harps, through thick and thin I wish her the best because she's one of the tops and I don't think um, just one of the top top players and I don't think she'll be matched for a long time in Dublin Absolutely um, Okay we're going to take a break and Nadine uh, thank you for that uh, Stay with us though we have Phelan Kelly on to talk about the European Cross Country Championships Game on on 2FM Welcome back. So this Sunday, an exciting Irish team of 40 athletes will take to Turin for the 28th edition of the Spar European Cross Country Championships, which take place in Lamandria Park. And I'm delighted to say that athletics coach Phelan Kelly joins us now on the line to talk us through what could possibly unfold. Phelan, how are you? I'm not too bad, Marie. Cheers for having me on. No worries. Thank you so much for joining me. I should probably knock the 40 athletes down to 39 as Kira McGean is not travelling. She's unwell. Big loss. Yeah, she's, well, I don't think she's as big of a loss um, <laughs> in terms of that team because she struggles over cross country and um, yeah, maybe should have done the relay, but she wanted to do that anyway. But she she won't, the, the women's team isn't as strong as it has been, but I, I think Ailish Flanagan, I think there will be 40 still. I think Ailish Flanagan uh, her twin sister was already on the team that she'll be on that senior women's team so it, it won't be a dramatic difference in terms of Kira was never going to win an individual medal in that race and I think the women's team they'll be just looking for a solid performance maybe top 5, top 6 overall so I, I don't think they'll be greatly affected by her absence other than obviously she's a marquee name I love the way you just call it as it is Phelan, always um, so Tell us then, of the 40 athletes, um, there's lots of different races, the men's, women's, seniors, the under-23s, the mixed relay, the under-20s, men's and women's. Do we have medal contenders? Yes, we we have medal contenders. As you said, there's a lot going on 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 Sunday in Turin. Um, It'll be cold conditions. As I said, there's under-20, under-23 and senior races. And in terms of, there'll be some individual chances and then the team scores. So for people following cross country or or not used to following cross country it's essentially your tally there's three athletes per team will score and the lowest tally then obviously is the winning team so obviously if you're first uh, that's one point if you're fifth that's five points Mm -hmm. and 25th you know so you add up those to uh, all those three scores I think that tallies up to um, I was a past math merchant myself but that tallies up to around under 30 points so um, depending on the team's some of the tallies last last year in Dublin were as low as, say, 13 points, and then you're going up to maybe just under 50 points, depending 
on the depth of the teams, but that's kind of like the medal spread in terms of points. So returning last year, Dara McElhaney, I suppose he's kind of been one of the star names um, in, in medal contention. He was second in the under-23 race last year, and he'll be looking potentially for gold, and his teammates won gold last year, Ireland, in that under-23 race. So that's, that's one section that will definitely be in line for the medals. The under-20 men's team should be in good contention for the medals. And then I think most teams, the senior men's are quite strong, but so is that senior men's race. is just really ridiculous in terms of depth. Jakob Ingebrigtsen and his two brothers are going to be in there. And there's a lot of basically major medalists from the European Championships in, in Munich from the 1500, steeplechase 5,000 and 10,000 metres are going to be in that race. And... Um, Sarah Healy has an opportunity in the under-23 women's race. She was fifth last year, and I don't think the women's team will be particularly competitive there. And then Jane Buckley from Leva is going to kind of spearhead that under-20 women's team. So it's going to be a mixture of getting experience. There's been full teams, which is important to send. It's worrying that some major countries like Belgium and, other, and the Netherlands aren't sending full teams like this is the introductory level really of international competition and the future of the sport and distance running in Europe so there's a bit of concern that there's too much elitism in terms of not sending full teams but thankfully we are but it's going to be a stiff challenge we were very successful in Dublin um, last year but it, it will be difficult I reckon to replicate that that this year Why are those countries not sending uh, full teams? Yeah it, it's, it's a strange one because the they're messing around on the track and on the road. Like t- they they run A standards and and they want top sixteen. They, they view it completely as who's going to win a medal and who who's going to place at the highest. But in terms of any sport, if you don't have the depth, you'll never really bring some of those through. Particularly in some of the younger age groups, like like under twenty races are really to try and blood, you know, your next generation and and some of those major. European countries like the history of you know cross country in Europe is basically very much heavily based in the Netherlands and Belgium and that's where there used to be the old World Athletics Tour and Katrine McKeon who went into the, the Hall of Fame there recently for Athletics Ireland she would have won and run in a lot of races there as would Fanula McCormick and Britain as she was before she was married so it, it, it is a strange one it needs to be looked into a little bit more but basically too many people high up who are paid to be high performance managers uh, over analysing and deciding who's good enough and who's not but ultimately they're going to hold up some of their progression but the Belgian senior men's team is going to be one of the teams to, to watch out for for a team medal anyway someday Okay well you've set it up nicely for us anyway uh, Phelan thank you so much and explained it uh, really well um, a lot to look forward to and that is on um or see television on Sunday as well. We'll be talking to you again soon. Uh, no doubt, Phelan, thank you so much. Um, so we do have a winner of our overlap competition. The winner is Owen Hallanan from County Sligo, who correctly said that Jamie Carragher was the pundit who spent his entire playing career with Liverpool. Tune in tomorrow for another chance to win. Um, Phelan, or Phelan, Conan, Nadine, thank you so much for coming in as well. Really appreciate it. Uh, we'll get back to normal World Cup now in the next few days as well. Um, it's been strange having um, having the, the day with the nothing to watch, I have to say. Really bad. Withdrawal <laughs> <laughs> symptoms. I had a nap earlier. Um, okay, guys, uh, thanks so much. Better De Silva is up next. RTE 2FM.